Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, Southbridge. I hope wherever you're watching from this morning, whether you're in your living room, your kitchen, or you're at the watch party, whether you got dressed this morning or you're still in your PJs, whether you're watching with friends or family or watching alone, whether you're watching on Sunday morning or later in the week, I hope you are doing well and I hope you are rejoicing because today is the day that the Lord has made. He has a purpose for you today. God is not done with you today. He has not given up on you and He has more in store for you and more in store for you today. Amen. Wherever you are, go ahead and say amen. I'm excited as we continue in our shift sermon series this morning. I'm excited, but if I'm honest, I'm also a little apprehensive. I'm apprehensive because I know that we're living in such a season of tension. There seems to be so much tension in this season that it's hard to say something that doesn't offend someone. And depending on what you say, people will determine what side you are on. And I don't just mean political parties. I mean whether it's reopen and see or stay at home. Whether it's wear a mask or don't wear a mask. Whether it's go back to school or virtual schooling. There's so much of this us and them mentality. And so before we continue today, I want you to know that I'm not proclaiming a side or even my own opinions on these matters. In fact, I want to be like the Apostle Paul that said, For I resolve to know nothing while I'm with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, so that your faith might not rest upon human wisdom, but on God's power. Today, I want us And when I say us, I'm specifically speaking to followers of Christ. I want us to learn how to operate in this season of shift, to learn how to operate in this new normal. And as we do that, I want us to fully rely on Christ and Him alone. Now, I know even by me saying that statement, I've probably offended some people. Some of us hate this phrase, new normal. We refuse to accept the idea of a new normal as that requires change and we like things the way that they are. Or we refuse to accept the idea of a new normal because we see no need for it. But truth is, whether we like it or not, I think we can all agree that our lives have been operating from normal to normal, from one normal to the next since we began. C.S. Lewis said, isn't it funny how day by day nothing changes, but when you look back, everything has changed. And this season is no different. I mean, come on, if we just take a second to think about it, look how the normal has changed over the last 20 years. You're now on the internet more often than you're not on the internet. And today you can talk on the phone and be on the internet at the same time. But think about it, we work online, we chat online, we watch TV online, we shop online, we date online, we share family photographs online. Today we no longer have to worry about breathing in secondhand smoke when out in public. Because in 2000, uh, a smoking ban went into effect in public places. And just think 30 years ago, up until that point, you could smoke on airplanes. Our new normal is changing constantly. You no longer have to sit around and hoping that your Napster song download goes through. Now how we listen to music has changed. Rather than listening on a radio or buying a CD or Walkmans, now we can just stream it straight to our devices, straight to our phones. Another way our normal has changed is one word. Blockbuster. 
We now have the option to watch TV without commercials. We no longer have to memorize each other's phone number. And I remember as a kid, I was taught not to talk to strangers or ever get into the car with a stranger and never meet people in real life from online. But today, I order myself a stranger from the internet and get in a car alone, and we call it Uber. So much has changed in the past 20 years. So if you're still with me today, if you're still watching and I haven't offended you too much, can you just stay with me? As we dive into God's word today, I really believe that God has a word for each of us today. And if I'm honest, I feel like this is one of the most important messages I've ever preached. I truly believe that. So I just want to encourage us all, can we just humble ourselves today before God? To put our own selfish desires aside, to put our own agendas aside, and just ask the Holy Spirit to work in each one of our hearts today. I feel like God is wanting to grab a hold of us and speak a word that is so simple, but yet powerful. So can we just do that right now, wherever you are? Can we just humble ourselves and say out loud, say audibly, can you just say this with me? Say, God, speak to us today. God, let me put aside my own ways, my own thoughts, and let me be open to what you have for me today. Amen. So let's open up our Bibles as we continue forward in this series. I want us to focus around this simple but powerful biblical concept that is found all throughout the Bible. So open up your Bibles today to Hebrews 10, 24. I was reading a word study on this verse later this week, and I was just so moved by this verse, and I really believe God is wanting to speak to us through this verse in this season. It's a short verse, but this is what it says. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Let me ask you, do you ever get so busy and so self-consumed that you forget that there's other people around you? that have needs and are facing challenges too. I know I for sure do. I, I, sometimes I get so consumed with what I have to get done, what I want or what I need, that I can just steamroll through people not fully realizing the effect that I'm having on others or considering their needs and their challenges. I think a perfect example for me is customer service. If you know anything about me, you know one of my biggest pet peeves is bad customer service. It, it really just gets under my skin and I feel like I may set high expectations for customer service, but I think if I boil it down, I just need two things from people. I need them to be helpful, and I need them to be kind. But the issue is, is if a person misses one of these two factors, I can quickly turn into a self-consumed customer. I can quickly tell you how you should be doing your job, and I can quickly get frustrated and lose my patience. Some of you may, may understand what I'm saying. Some of you may be able to relate. Some of you may be thinking, I'm a terrible pastor, and to you I say, be patient, God is still working on me. But if you relate with me today, you probably know how easy it is in those moments to justify your actions. But if, if, if we stop and think and consider what we as believers are called to do in those moments, in those situations, next to the fruit of the Spirit, I have to ask myself, am I displaying love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In those moments when I'm frustrated at customer service, I can honestly say that I don't. I get frustrated, I lose patience, kindness goes through the window, I become abrupt, I exude no joy, and I sacrifice all those things in that moment on the altar of what I want 
and what I need. So when I read Hebrews 10.24, I'm challenged by the question, how am I considering others? How am I stirring up others to love and good works? I don't have a title for my sermon today, but if I did, it would probably be something like Stir Crazy or Don't Stir the Pot. You guys can decide. Anyway, as I was looking at this verse over the week, I found out, and I found out what the word consider in this verse means. And it's the Greek word katonoi. I have no idea if I'm saying it right, but that's what we're going to go with. Which portrays the idea of thoroughly thinking through something or pondering something from top all the way to the bottom. It's this idea of mulling something over, carefully contemplating a matter, pondering and carefully looking at a particular issue or examining and fully, and fully studying a subject. This creates a word image of a person that is so concerned about another person that they take time to really consider that other person. They observe the person's ups and downs, their highs and lows. They take time to find out what helps that person feel encouraged and what events tend to pull them down and discourage them. It's a person who is on a determined pursuit to know and understand another person. Hebrews 10 goes on to say, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another uh, all, the more as the day, uh, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now this brings up another issue in our new normal. Some of us just want to be back together, want to be back in this building. And I want you to know that, that we desire that too. I wish we had the time to talk about that today and have conversations about that, but that's not the message that God has for us today. But I want you to know that the church is not closed. The church has never been closed. The church is not this building and this building is nothing special. The idea of not, ne not neglecting to meet together is not about a place or a building, but it's about the act of coming together, building one another up, challenging one another, encouraging one another. You see, Hebrews here is saying that the church should be a picture of what it means to be a loving community where people are vitally concerned with others' welfare. And I think if we take time and humble ourselves and honest with ourselves, we often fail at this so often. We again get so consumed with our own desires and needs that we forget about others. But imagine, imagine if we were a community that humbled ourselves and saw others as more important than ourselves. Imagine if we were a church that genuinely saw others as family. Imagine that man that's in need, imagine if that was your brother or your dad. That woman that is struggling and needs help, imagine if that was your daughter or your mom. Imagine how life-changing that concept would be. Philippians 2 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, whom through he was... Uh, who through, though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Can we be like Jesus? Can we humble ourselves and empty ourselves out? Can we take on the form of a servant to love and care for others. 
I feel like this is becoming harder and harder for us in the culture that we're in because we don't want to compromise on our convictions. But I must caution us all. We need to be careful that those convictions that we're unwilling to compromise on came from Christ and not from our sense of convenience or comfort. That they didn't come from, as Paul said, our selfish ambition or conceit. And I know in the time that we're in, in this culture that we have, we have so many convictions of what's right and wrong. I believe we're living in such an activist time where we're fighting for so much, fighting for freedoms, which is good. We need freedom fighters. We need people willing to stand up to say enough is enough. We need true patriots. But I want to remind us all that this place that we're in is not our home that these freedoms that we fight for must be for a greater purpose than our own comfort or convenience. Galatians 5 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is filled up in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Freedom should be more than just for our flesh. We should fight for freedoms that enable us to love others more. We should fight for rights, yes, but as 1 Corinthians 8 says, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. I've said it before, just because you could doesn't mean you should. Remember, it was out of Jesus' love for us that he stepped down from heaven, that he was born in a manger, that he took on a servant, the role of a servant, that the God of all creation, the God of the whole universe came not to be served, but to serve. This is not just a Christmas message. This is a constant message. God stepped out of heaven to come down into our world to die for us. The only person who had ever walked on the earth that did not deserve death died for our wrongdoings. Why? Because he loved us that much. So we have to ask ourselves, Am I loving people the way that Christ loved me? 1 Corinthians 9 says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I, may weigh, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I become as one under the law, though my myself not being under the law, that I may win those under the law. To those outside the law I become as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I may win those outside the law. To the weak, I became the weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul here is writing to the church of Corinth, and he's given us some good advice of how to share God's love and message with others. He shows us that if we want to communicate well, we must first take time to understand that other person. Paul listens to his audience. He finds common ground before he even tries to take steps to, to change them, to help them. We don't need to be good at winning arguments. We need to be good at listening and showing that we care. Are we fighting for love with the same vigor we're fighting to be right? Are we living our lives in such a way that we become servants to others, that we're more concerned with people coming to Christ than we are with our own comforts and convenience. Because if so, that means we have to love and care for those that disagree with us, 
That means we have to humble ourselves and put others first. The question is, do we really want to be like Jesus? Francis Chan said this, and it's always challenged me deep into my core. He said this, he said, you really, 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 really like Jesus. But if you are honest with yourself, you don't really want to become like him. You admire his humility, we all do. But do you really want to be that humble? I mean, you think it's beautiful. I think we all think it's beautiful that the Son of God would get down on his knees and wash the feet of his disciples. We think that's beautiful, but is that really the goal of your life? And is your life headed in the direction of servanthood? You're thankful that Jesus was spit on and abused, that he took it, but you would never let that happen to you. You love the fact that he laid down his rights, but you're going to spend your life fighting for yours and defending yours. You praise him, you sing songs, you love him because he loved you enough to suffer his whole time on earth for your sake. But you're going to make sure you have fun while you're down here and that you have a good time. He said, in short, you think Jesus is a great savior, but he's not a great role model. So as I reflect back on Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. I feel like I've got to ask myself, am I less concerned with stirring up love and good works, or am I more concerned with proving that I'm right? I said it before, often we sacrifice relationships on the altar of being right. Some of us act like opinions is a book from the Bible. We have our first opinions and our second opinions. But I say that because we're more concerned about proving why our opinions is right rather than pointing people to Jesus. Rather than building relationships where healthy conversations and disagreements can take place. There are some opinions, in fact there's, there's a lot of opinions that we should just keep to ourselves and God. And instead find ways to stir up love and good works in others. Romans 14 talks about this, and I'm going to read a chunk of it in a second. But as I do, I really want us to pay attention to this church. I really want us to hear the Word of God here. And don't listen to this scripture and have somebody else in mind who needs to hear this. I want you to listen to it, and I want you to apply this to your life. Let it really challenge you as it challenges me. Let it challenge our approach to how we live and interact with those who have differing opinions, even among believers. It says, except the ones whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with content the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. One person considers one day more sacred than the other. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own minds. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or a sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. 
If your brother or sister is distressed by what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone who Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. I'm going to say that again. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that will cause your brother and sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because that eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Basically, this passage is saying, welcome with open arms fellow believers who do not see things the way that you do. It's saying don't jump all over them every time they say something or do something you disagree with, even if they have strong opinions. Remember, they have their own life, their own background. They, they have their own reasons why they're doing what they're doing. Instead, let's treat them gently and with kindness. Now, it's not saying we compromise the truth. Don't get it twisted. We're talking about disputable matters here. But even when speaking the truth, let's demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. Remember, God's kindness is meant to lead to repentance. And our love for one another is how people will know that we are His disciples. So this week, as you go about your daily life, I encourage you to look for opportunities to encourage one another, to stir up love and good works, even with those that you don't see eye to eye with. Ask yourself, how can I encourage them? How can I pray for them? How can I build them up? How can I stir up love and good works in them? How can I help them grow in their relationship with Christ? Do this daily, do this often. As Hebrews said, don't neglect meeting together. Just, and that just doesn't mean Sunday morning here in this building. That means living in biblical community. This means even with your family sat around the dinner table together, encourage one another to love and good works. That means grabbing a coffee with a friend, encourage one another to love and good works. That means making a phone call to that distant friend or family, encouraging one another to love and good works. That might mean sending an email to one of our missionaries and encouraging one another to love and good works. This week, let's be conscious of times when rather than we could be debating someone or proving our own opinion to be right, instead let's humble ourselves and look for opportunities to serve that person, to love on that person, to show kindness to that person, we're in a season of life that we've never walked through before. And again, everybody has their own background, their own past as to why they're making the decisions that they make. So let's honor one another. Let's respect one another and their decisions on disputable matters. And just as your grandma used to say, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Keep it between you and God. 
Bob Goff said this, and I love it. He said, if you want to become love, stop just agreeing with Jesus. Go call someone right now. Lift them up in ways that they can't lift up themselves. Send them a text message. Say you're sorry. I know they don't deserve it. You didn't either. Don't just put a toe in the water with your love. Grab your knees and do a cannonball. Move from the bleachers to the field and you'll never be the same again. Don't just love people who are easy to love. Go love the difficult ones. Southbridge, I love you. I miss you. I look forward to the days when we can all be together again. But remember, the church is not a building. We may not be able to gather here, but we can be scattered all around the city, finding ways to stir up love and good works. So let's continue this week with our mission on connecting people to Jesus for life change. Amen. Southbridge, thanks for joining us again today. I just wanted to give you a quick update about our watch parties here on campus. Uh, we will be continuing those into August. And so if you're interested in coming out to the campus and participating in a watch party, you can sign up for that online. And if you have any questions about uh, watch parties, events, resources, how to get connected, I encourage you to check out our website at sfchurch.com or you can email us with any questions that you have at info at sfchurch.com. Again, Southbridge, thanks for joining us. And will you join me as we read our benediction together? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Okay, Southbridge, have a great week.